Good Hello, e- Rich. Hello, good evening, Greg. How are you? I'm great. Good, good. Thank you for appearing on the show. Happy to do it. Awesome. Oh, there we are. I had an advertisement instead of a Simply Syndicated logo. I, I feel like I needed to see the Simply Syndicated logo. All right. Skype. Is Skype putting adverts up? Yeah, I got an advertisement for a 2013 Ford fuel-efficient lineup. <laughs> Side by side with your with Simply Syndicated. Gosh, I didn't know it did that. I feel that maybe may, should I get an affiliate fee if you bought a Ford? Because <laughs> if I hadn't called you, you wouldn't have seen the ad. Yeah, there you go. It's unlikely I'll be buying a 2013 Ford, but there you go. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, so right, I'm. I'm. Shall we just get into it? I'm good with whatever you want. Yep. Right. Awesome. So I mean. I realize that I've, I've kind of dragged you on here with relatively little explanation, but the the basis for me inviting you onto the show is that I've been listening to your, uh, in, in, why's the name gone from me? Walk to, the Earth or Inappropriate Conversations? Uh, both. Both. I, okay. I, I, I'd listened to the thing last night. I, I'm sorry. The, the, the words just went from my head. Inappropriate Conversations and, and Walk the Earth. And I'm, I'm finding it really, really interesting. And I'm coming at this, obviously, from a completely different viewpoint to you, being a, a total and complete atheist. And so it's it's quite interesting to me to hear your story about what you're going through and, and your thoughts and feelings about various different things. Um, and I, I just thought it'd be interesting to, to have a chat about it and, and anything else that comes up, really. This is the second time I've heard that this week, and it really surprises me. Um, the pace of downloads for Walk the Earth has been higher than the pace of downloads for inappropriate conversations. And I thought at first, well, first off, that's curiosity. And then second off, the episodes are shorter. But I actually heard from another person who's, you know, kind of a lifelong atheist who said that because she, it's so foreign to her, the process of going to church, much less leaving one and looking for another – that she's been listening to it as if she's like, you know, a, like a creature from another planet observing a brand new anthropological culture. I'll take that. That works for me. It's, it's <laughs> kind of like that. I must admit it, it's not it, strange. Not the audience it, I was expecting, not the audience I was expecting, but you know, I, that's I, how this works. I, let me offer you some form of explanation. Um, and, and I can't say this for, for the other person who, who's, touch about this obviously but it's kind of like and i'm i'm oversimplifying things so i i don't wish to be offensive or disrespectful in any way but what it, it feels like is kind of like by being a member of our religion one becomes sort of it, it's kind of like in a way joining a club of some kind and that club has a set of rules and you kind i i feel like if you don't like those rules then um, it's kind of like maybe you shouldn't be in the club. And that's not what you're saying and not what you're going through in the slightest. What, what, what your issue seems to me to be is that it's, it's not you that is in any way misinterpreting the, the rules of the club, so to speak. It, it seems that en masse... There, there seems to have been a big turn in the way things are that 
not just you, but I, I, I feel like that you know, it's never just one person that has an issue with something. There'll be there'll be many people like you who aren't happy with the way things are going. And and so it's 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 very interesting as an outsider to see somebody go through this. Yeah, I guess maybe the uh, the comparison that I would make because I do get asked from time to time, really all the way back to high school, I've been asked this question, and it it never made sense to me when I get asked it. Uh, people would say, "Well, if you know if you're not if you're not a drug user of any sort, why do you hang out with the people who are using drugs?" And I was like, "Well, a they're cool, <laughs> b." They're interesting. And see, we've got something in common with each other. It's not the drugs. It's the fact that we really enjoy rock and roll music and we really enjoy concerts and we enjoy live performance and we enjoy staying up late at night. But yeah, I've had people on more than one occasion say, well, hey, that doesn't make sense to me. That's You're not in that club. So what are you doing paying attention to it? So when the, the podcast Hooked came out, you know, I was gobbling those up. Um, that might have been for a while there among my fastest downloads that – that length from how long it is, how does it take from when you download to when you listen to the show? You know, yeah. that was a really tight turnaround and do ask, do tell the exact same situation. You know, I, I guess my answer would be that, you know, I, my, my faith has nothing to do with the rules of the game. Yeah. My faith's going to still be there. Even if I never, even if I keep walking the earth and never find a home, I guess would be the way I would word that. But yeah, the um, I, this is a weird thing because sometimes when families do this, you end up with somebody who stays behind. It's like maybe uh, one spouse leaves, the other spouse stays, or the parents go, but one of the kids stay because they're really connected with other youth in the church. And this was a family consensus, not just from us, but from lots of other families. So, so okay then. Do you want to? Just very briefly for for this audience, just give a sort of, in a nutshell, summary of of what it is you've been going through and experiencing. Yeah, maybe I should even start a little further up and just kind of just talk about the show itself because that'll give me a little bit of a foundation to to run with. Okay, uh, as a lot of people associated with inappropriate conversation uh, with simply syndicated may know. Inappropriate conversations has been my sort of audio blog format of a podcast where I talk about politics, religion, popular culture, stuff like that. And you know, when this whole church thing went down, I just thought to myself, well, at my first thought was, no, we're just going to do what we do and visit churches. We'll, we'll find a new home and that'll be that. But it became clear this was going to take a while. And the process of doing it was making me think through certain questions. So I thought to myself, yeah, I could, I could cover this too. And inappropriate conversations is the wrong place. It's, it's a different, totally different topic. So Walk the Earth is basically, hey, this journey, this um, the theme music is literally Pulp Fiction, where the two hitmen are talking to each other, and Jules tells the other one, um, I'm done being a hitman. I'm just going to walk the earth until Kung Fu style, until God puts me where he wants me to be. You know, So yeah, in that light, I'm trying to do two things at once. First, I'm definitely venting about my experience at the church we left behind, because it was a church we had something like 15 years' experience. Right. And I'm also talking about what we're finding when we go out and look. The next one, the third Walk the Earth, is literally going to deal with some things that I totally was surprised by, because I had, an, in my idea, what, what a sermon was and what would happen at a church where there was more than one worship service and therefore more than one sermon. And 
what I thought was true, uh, not at all what I experienced when we went and looked around, because when you go to the same church almost every week and you never really stray or stray from it, you don't see what people down the road are doing. It's only now that I'm seeing what people down the road are doing. Right. I, I see what you mean. I mean, I, something to, to make you aware of straight away is that I don't know really, and I, I'm kind of just realizing this myself, I don't know what a, a normal Sunday service in a church involves. I have a sort of a clue based on things I've seen, and I, I have been to uh, church services because, you, you know, you reach a certain age and you've been to weddings and you've been to funerals and christenings and, and other things that take, places in, that take place in church. But I've never in my life been to a, a church for no reason other than to go to church. Yeah, and there's probably a lot of people who never really see normal because when you think about it, when you end up going to church, you're most likely going to be going to church at a point in time where it's Christmas or it's Mother's Day or it's Easter and there's some set of circumstances around it that makes it kind of a different Sunday. Uh, I try in the very first episode of Walk the Earth to kind of quickly breeze through what what a traditional Protestant order of worship is, but it's Hey, sorry about the noise in the background. That's crazy. I'm not the only person in this house. Somebody could answer the phone. These all things right, happen not. all the time. Don't worry. <laughs> I mean, my cell phone, I, if that happens, that's on me. I did leave it on. But um, yeah, so normally you'd, you'd go in and there'd be some sort of greeting, some sort of song, some collective prayer, maybe a little time with the kids where there's a children's message and then somebody's going to read from scripture and then talk about it, maybe even give a a personal testimony of sort, sing a few more songs and, and uh, head out the door. That's pretty high level what it's about. And that's been true to my experience. As we've looked around, we've seen variations on that general order, but there's been other things which really sort of, yeah, just, I wasn't expecting. I, we, we visited a church that's from a denomination that's, well, it's Lutheran. It's so old. It's got Martin Luther's name in it that I expected it to be very you know, quiet and serene and serious. And that's actually been the church that's been the most um, loose and free-flowing of all the ones that we've attended so far, at least right up there with them. So I, I just keep saying, hey, you walk in those doors, you never know what you're going to get <laughs> if, if you have an expectation. <clears throat> My wife describes it, though, as the first day of school every Sunday. She's not really a, she's not a big fan if if something makes her happy, we may settle in pretty quickly for that reason. Yeah, I can. Which I think is how that. the world works. You yeah. know, your wife likes something. That's that's the way it goes. I I think that is how it goes. <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> um, so so what what has brought about this? Again, I'm asking for for this this show's audience because I've I've been listening to your podcast. But what has brought about this this desire to move away from the? And when we say church, we mean the actual physical building and those people within rather than yeah. the, the 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 church as in the entity that is the the religion so to speak yeah i find myself stumbling on that a little bit because we use the word more than one way i think the easier way to think about it is to say i'm i'm not walking away from the faith at all yeah but i am walking away from that particular building and that location that congregation that church and uh you know there's there's really I guess the first thing I would say is my tolerance level for nonsense inside the church is very high. 
And I think there's probably a joke here, but you could easily say, well, it kind of has to be, doesn't it? <laughs> because <laughs> if you've ever seen like the news or a talk show or watched a televangelist, you know, your tolerance level for nonsense has got to be pretty high. And I'm not leaving over something that's a question of dogma or, or anything like that, because if it was really something that I could speak to, if it was a place where I could sit down with somebody and talk to them about what the scriptures really mean, I would relish that in a heartbeat. And I'm used to people out of the world uh, who I'm ready for them to tell me they don't really care two beans what the Bible says. That generally doesn't bother me either, um, but not inside the church. So when you're inside the church and somebody says something really hideous, like, well, they don't care what the Bible says, or they're accusing people of committing crimes that they didn't, when everyone knows they didn't do anything wrong. Or, you know, threat, stopping, stopping the process of giving. So they say, well, you know, until you fire that choir director we don't like, we're not going to, we're going to withhold our, our pledge. We're going to withhold our contribution to the financial well-being of the church. And I talked to the district superintendent who's kind of in charge of this region I'm in, this county two or three counties and he she and the one before him who's a man both of them said they they were getting like a visit every other week from a church member complaining about something stupid like they they didn't like the bible translation that the pastor was using or they didn't like the sooty war on it just to church that sunday or they didn't like the way he stood you know just yeah crazy stupidity and i kind of drew the line a little bit when Somebody said that they felt like the church secretary was the most important member of our church and that whatever she said needed to go and that she had authority over the pastor and authority over the way we worshiped. And I just, I just said, you know, I, I don't want to be part of a congregation that puts that kind of authority in somebody who's just an employee and kind of said, I'm now getting to the point where I'm extremely uncomfortable and yeah, people would say hateful things, chase a few people out of the church, talking behind people's backs. And I said, yeah, I don't have time for this. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to go where I'm going to be heard. And if people aren't going to listen, then, you know, if they're not going to listen to me, that's fine. But if they're not going to listen to scripture, then what are we doing? I refer to it as a social club. Right. I, I'm, a, I'm a Woody Allen kind of guy from this perspective. I don't want to be a member of any club whose requirements are so low that I could get in as a member, you know, and <laughs> If I if I meet your standards, then your standards are not high enough for me to be part of your club. And and so for that reason, if if it boils down to just being a, a group of people who are getting together socially and don't really care about the bigger picture, we're we're not tutoring students in the inner city anymore, we're not serving in the soup kitchen, we're not giving to you know to people who are poor and hungry. You layer on top of that some kind of really right-wing Republican sort of attitudes where people start saying, should we be feeding the hungry? Then, you know, that there's, there's your sign, I guess, is how I would word that. Yeah. I mean, it definitely feels to me that, that there has, in, sort of in the last 10 years or so, been a massive shift in the, the way that Christianity in particular is, is how to put this, um, the the extreme views that are coming out of of me members of the faith, um, you know, particularly from from the right wing side of things, 
And I, 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 you know, obviously it's not something that I've ever paid a great deal of attention to, but I don't, I don't remember any of this from when I was much younger. I, I don't ever remember seeing, uh, sort of, uh, right-wing extreme pastors and and preachers saying a whole slew of things that that are quite hateful and nasty about different groups of people or, or attitudes towards things and that that sort of thing when i was younger this feels like something that has has definitely come about i don't know i could almost say it feels like it's been since 911 well you're you've nailed it you've nailed it completely and i wish that i had written i'd wish i'd written it down you know i i no longer work in in the newspaper business and there have been times in my life when I've done my own sort of journaling and, and here, because of inappropriate conversations, I can, I can put blogs up when I feel like it on the website at www.inappropriateconversations.org. And I frankly have been very blessed that from time to time we'll turn around and put those on Simply Read as well. And I've, I've got some that are in both places. But I didn't do any blogging of any sort after 9-11. But my prediction was, you know – well, first, it's, it's sort of the answer to a quiz question. What, outside of Christmas, Easter, and Mother's Day, was the most heavily attended Sunday in, any, in, in America, in churches in America, in the last 15 years, or even the last probably 20, 25 years? It was the Sunday after 9-11. You know, the, those yeah. attacks happen. The nation loses a little bit of confidence in its security and its safety. There are people who have a genuine faith and there are people who reach for the security blanket when stuff goes wrong and churches were filled up for a Sunday or two with lots of people who were turning to God as a security blanket because they felt insecure about their situation and I was you know not rejoicing at that you know, other people were like oh look how full church is this Sunday and I was like this this is a formula for disaster because what's going to happen is these Otherwise, uh, very political people who have showed up in churches because they're afraid and upset about being attacked don't really have any sort of relationship with the Lord. When this wears off, when this need for the security blanket wears off, they're going to put down the security blanket and they're going to pick up a weapon. And basically what you've had is this sort of politically active Christianity, this conservative religious right. It's always been around most of my lifetime, at least since 1975. And, but now it's turned very, very nasty. And I think it's a, it's a whiplash effect from 9-11. That, that would make sense to me. I, uh, and I think if you'd find the worst Christian that I knew when I was growing up, if you were to like put a microphone in front of Anita Bryant and say, do you think it would be a good idea to round up a million people who you think are really immoral and, and murder them? She would have said no. But I can, without even thinking about it, name a handful of pastors in America today who have not only said yes to the question, they didn't even need to be asked. They just picked up the microphone on their own and went out there and said it. And so when the anti-Muslim backlash ended, it turned into an anti homosexual backlash that we're still experiencing today mm -hmm. and now it's morphed into an anti women who exercise equal rights backlash and you can just you wonder where it's going to go next have they run out of targets I mean that'd be the hope eventually they just run out of targets 
yeah, I can't, I can't imagine where it would go next. To be perfectly but, honest, it's 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 a scary thing. It, it really is, um, and I I think it just shows the, the the worst side of of religion in general when it can be used to to as a reason to hate somebody, and not knowing everything there is to know about religion in general, I'm pretty sure that that's not the idea behind it. <laughs> well, no, yeah. not not at all. And the thing is, when when you've got more legitimately accurate Christian dogma being expressed by Jews than your average televangelist-type Christian, you know something has gone very wrong because – you know, Jews still feel very strongly that uh, there's a paramount element of God's mercy, and they take you know the scriptures that they follow so seriously that when it says you need to take care of, respect, and be kind to foreigners in your midst, uh, even Jews who have terrible relationships historically with Islam have been much more open and tolerant and protective of Muslims in their community than your average. A member of the religious right, anyway, and so yeah, I, I find it kind of shocking that that the things that Christians ought to hold on to as their dogma, they, you know, we see so few of them following it. To where, if I get into a Facebook conversation with somebody who's part of that religious right mindset, I can quote scripture to them and have them tell me it's not in the Bible. It's, they they don't have a clue, right? Like the next inappropriate conversations is going to talk about biblical illiteracy and just how your average Christian just doesn't have the first idea. Um, they're, they're no more equipped than anybody else to tell you what is and isn't in the Bible. You see, I, I would think that that would be sort of a day one requirement of <laughs> of being a Christian and attending a church is you've you've read the book, right? You've you've got to have read the book. What whatever else, yeah, you know, read the book. See, one of the things this church search is losing for us is that we no longer have little kids. So we have yet to go to a Sunday school. We've just been attending worship services and trying to figure out if there's a, a good fit there. Because I think one of the biggest problems in Sunday school is that most of the teachings that young kids get today in churches begins with Genesis and moves on. Now, I'm not taking a pot shot at Genesis, Exodus, you know, even Leviticus, I'll cut it a little bit of slack. If you read it in the context that it's supposed to be, in, that it was intended, there's some things there that you can sort of smile and nod at. Even the things that are incredibly disagreeable, you could say, well, I, I kind of get it. If I was uh, invading a new territory, killing everybody who was there, vulnerable now to a, gr a new set of marauders, I think I'd want to have as many kids as I possibly could. I'd want to encourage childbirth as much as possible, and I'd want to discourage anything that got in the way of childbirth. Literally, Moses basically, allegedly, wanting even homosexual people to go ahead and find a way to hook up and have some kids, because otherwise the society would collapse upon itself. But kids aren't being taught what Jesus said in Sunday school. So often, Sunday school begins with creation, flood, Noah, ark, exodus, and it's like... Maybe as a Christian education, you should start with, I don't know, this Jesus guy. Yeah. Let's start there. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to find out if the church that we eventually decide we're going to spend a lot of our time in does children's religious education well, because there's no way I could be a fly on the wall in there that wouldn't be creepy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I don't understand that. 
I don't have kids and I don't want to teach kids. So what am I doing hanging around with the, uh, with the kindergarten classroom? Yeah. This raises a few so, eyebrows, doesn't it? What, yeah. what, what is the, uh, what, what happens in terms of religious education at school in America? Nothing. And I think that's a good thing because when you look at the quality of the bureaucracies we're dealing with, can you just imagine the idiots who are trying to run Congress today putting together a program of religious education? Your average American comes out of high school less equipped to deal with the world than your average student from Europe or, or Asia. So if we do you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic this badly, heaven help us if we try to teach theology to anybody. Fair enough. So if, if you're going to learn something about religion in America and you're not going to a private school that does that as its stock and trade – it's going gonna, it's gonna to be in church or worse on television. You know, yeah. Frankly, I'd, nothing at all might be better than what's on your average Christian TV network. See, we, we do have uh, religious education at schools in this country, um, but it is exactly what it, it says it is. It's not um, education about our religion. It is really, it's about religion in general, um, which I can see being an issue in in america well there are states in america where that would not go over well at all because the goal is indoctrination and so the 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 only thing you can do worse than refusing to cover the topic at all is to cover it dispassionately that would just drive your average person from oklahoma insane and uh no to me i i went to uh private to public schools in oklahoma and one of the things that I think that really really hit with me when I went to college was I had the opportunity to learn about religions of the world for the first time because I wasn't getting much of that in church and I wasn't getting any of it in school. So I took five or six different classes, maybe more, uh, ended up pick, picking up a minor degree just because for the first time I was given an opportunity to find out about Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam and, and other sorts of things. But – you almost have to do it at the collegiate level or sort of on your own. Do you, do you ever feel that w- without having had that education at an earlier stage in life, that maybe, I mean, because again, and I'm, I'm saying this as an atheist, it feels like everybody who is religious feels they've chosen the right one. And there is only one right one. And so you kind of think, well, if there's lots that you didn't know about, how do you really know that you've chosen the right one? Yeah, the, well, I would agree with that to a certain degree because that was a thought in my head. You know, my parents, or at least my mom, was probably terrified because her thought was, ooh, Greg's out there in the open market of ideas. That's going to be scary. And I, at one point I, I talked to her about it. In fact, it may have even been in high school when – I was beginning to to dabble and pick up a few things just from reading fiction, uh, books like Siddhartha by by Hess. I just said to her, I said, listen, you know, if if we are right about what we believe, then the free marketplace of ideas is just going to affirm that in a in a really fantastic way. And if we're wrong about what we believe, wouldn't you want to know? You know, and and I didn't get any more flack about it from there. And you know, I continued to get the financial support and the emotional support I needed to 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 go to college and to take those kinds of classes. But I guess there's two kinds of ways you can think you're right. You can think you're right defensively and you can think you're right offensively. And 
when people think they're right defensively, I don't put a lot of stock in it because essentially what they're doing is they're saying, um, I am close-minded to any other idea. I'm terrified to be out there and engaging. I'm going to circle the wagons and entrench my position. And I think I'm right. And there's a 100% vote. When, when there's a vote taken about whether I'm right or not, there's only one person allowed to vote. It's me. I'm right. I win every election. I'm right. Yeah. The offensive idea is to say, no, get out there. You know, um, Make a few first downs. Get tackled a few times. Score some goals. Get called offside. Shit happens. Get out there. You know? And learn from people. And I find the scriptures so much more rich having met people that I otherwise wouldn't have met. And to me, it, it reinforced my faith in a really powerful way because some of the more important moments of my spiritual growth happened after I'd studied those other things. That, Don't that, know if I would. No, that, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, I, I mean, yeah, you, you, you know, once you can compare and, and see that you, you are happiest with the, the one in which you're, you're part of, then that's, that's just going to reinforce how you've always felt. I, I suppose also what would be a factor is how you came upon your religion in the first place. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of funny. Um, I was one of those people, I think, probably at a, around the age of maybe 19, certainly by the age of 16 or 17, could have honestly said that I had an inherited faith, that I went to the churches my parents went to, and I followed the course of action that anybody else who was in those churches and becoming a member of those churches would have followed. And just like any other kid in the youth group, there were a lot of Sundays where the only time, the only reason I went was that it was a summer day and some of the girls were going to be wearing shorts or it was a winter's day. And, you know, this one girl always wore tight sweaters. I mean, the reasons weren't always very noble, you know, um, although there was truth in them. So yeah. you got to take that. Uh, <laughs> but it was really you know, only after I was in college for, I mean, I had some, 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 some faith challenging experiences in high school. And then by the end of college, I'd really had some really, uh, some really Im important moments in my life that happened spiritually. And that was when I sort of turned a corner and said, no, I, I own this. Th this is mine. And, you know, you probably, in my case, I was confirmed as a member of the church um, and did all kinds of stuff that made me fully fledged, you know, part of a congregation, part of the church the church, part of the faith. But it was real for me in a way that was very different by the time I got to the end of my uh, second senior year in college. So what, what actually happened for you then to, to make you feel that way? Well, I was at odds. And I think you know, people who know me from Simply Syndicated, some of this is going to sound kind of familiar, but I was at odds for many years with members of my family and with members of my, my friend clique because I was very comfortable being friends with women. That, that was just a normal thing for me. I, I see no gender divide. I don't see a, a sexual orientation divide. Uh, I try my best not to see a racial divide. That's, you know, sometimes that's a little bit tricky depending on where you live and what your experiences have been. And by, no one objected to me running in and, in and out of different groups based on race. But in high school, especially when you're you know, early in high school, you've got to be really careful, I think, as a heterosexual boy about how close and friendly you are with people who are homosexual because you understand, you come to understand pretty quickly the kind of bullying they experience because you get it too. Yeah. So 
I was aware of that. And a lot of the times what I would do instead is I'd say, listen, I've experienced a lot of encounters with guys who are my age who are just dicks. I think that's the word for it. Yeah. And I'd rather spend quality time. If I'm going to share anything personal, if I'm going to share part of my life with somebody, I'd rather share it with somebody I can trust. And throughout high school, most of those relationships that had that kind of trust bond were with women. You know, now me and me and the guys, we'd go out on a Friday night. We'd, we'd have a few drinks. We'd raise some hell. But um, if I was really going to sit down and have a heart-to-heart conversation with somebody, it would be with women. And there were a couple of occasions in high school where that went really well. And it felt so normal and natural that I never questioned it. And then my senior year in high school, one of the girls that was in the concert chorus uh, that I was being friendly with sort of asked me why and was really willing to reject the idea that there could be any sort of friendship, platonic friendship between the genders. She, she wanted no part of it. And that created a real crisis for me because I'd never – I don't think I'd felt rejection like that before in my life because if you – if you saunter up to a girl at a keg party and ask her if she wants to go behind the bushes and she says no, she's not really saying no to you as a person. She's saying no to, you know, playing around behind the bushes. Yeah. Yeah, I can accept that. Uh, I'm a person who's capable of getting on just fine by myself. So I'm not the kind of macho idiot who thinks that the only way you can end a sexual experience is with you have a woman there with you. You we're all fully equipped with two hands and a good imagination. We're fine, yeah. you know. But to have somebody who you're not interested in messing around with, that you really just say, hey, I want to get to know you better. We've read some of the same books. I heard your speech, your book report. You heard mine. Let's talk about this. When you get a no to that, that's kind of somebody saying, no, it's really you. I don't want to get to know better. <laughs> it's a, a fairly full on. It's very yeah, harsh. Yeah, guys don't reject each other that way. You know, I mean, you'd almost rather have somebody call you a dick and, 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 and take a punch at you than that other sort of situation because there's no real recourse for that. So that set me back and set me reeling. And for many years, I was just very careful and just said, no, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go back to the gender normative here and just cr- cruise through the college experience with the guys on my gender segregated dorm floor and the three or four guys I moved off campus to an apartment with. And by that point in time, I'd met my my uh, wife, my woman who's now my wife. So you know, I had the other sort of you know, romantic side of the ledger taken care of. So I had plenty of female companionship. And it was my senior year when I actually was suddenly sort of seized by this, uh, I, I consider it to be a somewhat um, paranormal sort of thought that said, hey, you've been wrong all these years. You're, gonna, you're going to meet somebody. It's really important that you, you go with it. Risk everything. Risk the same rejection you experienced in high school. Risk the scorn and questions from your family. Risk your relationship with your fiance. Risk it. Do it. And I did. And it played out in a way that I won't, I won't cover the ground again here. There's an inappropriate conversation called Revelation Weekend that I think tells the story pretty well. It's number 80, year or so ago, and really just kind of felt like, yeah, yeah. Felt like I heard the Lord talk to me in a way that was so real that I was looking around the room saying, hey, did anybody else hear this? And uh, it wasn't the televangelist kind of nonsense. Mm. And it was real and it was genuine. It was me. I told Rick the first time that Rick uh, from Admiral from Starbase 66, when we met in person, 
uh, and recorded an admiral's table years and years ago, I told him, I said, you know, I literally walked away from that thing saying, I'm looking for a good explanation here, looking for CAT scan results. Is it a tumor? What, what, what happened that can explain that? And it's, well, that's 30 years ago. I got no explanation. And so far, no tumor. Of course. Um, it, it feels, as someone who has never experienced anything remotely like that, hang on, no, I'm lying. Um, right. I, I could say to have heard things that ordinarily there would be no explanation for. But when I think back to what I was doing at the time, I can point very clearly to an explanation. But I, that was not what you experienced. Because yeah, I, we need to. Yeah, to be fair, we need to go back to the yeah. beginning of our conversation. I'm I'm the guy who's never used an illegal drug. Yeah, and I, <laughs> that, that, that thing is very definitely the difference there. Um, and on that, on that, see, that's the thing. I that I I woke up the next morning. Because this happened fairly late at night. I woke up the next morning thinking, you know what? If only alcohol had been available as an excuse. But even that wasn't true because I was the designated driver that night. I was the, the – we were going to a party across town where the editor of the college paper was hosting everybody. And um, I knew that my, my best friend, this woman, intended to drink. And since she was double dating with an, another guy that I knew was was a drinker, I just said, well, no, I'll, I'll take this. This is going to be an entertaining enough night anyway, just being at the editor's house. I don't feel like I necessarily need to augment it at all. So I got to the next morning where some of the people we'd hung out with were too hungover to answer their phone. And I was sitting there saying, man, I don't even have that as an explanation. So I went with it. Fair enough. I don't Hmm. What 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 it leaves me kind of thinking is, were I to accept that what happened to you is how you've interpreted what happened to you, why would that not happen to me? There's a sort of feeling of almost being left out, if that makes any sense. You know. You know. This is. Because you're, you're right. We're coming. You know assuming that there's God and and he can talk to whoever he wants at what, about whatever he wants whenever he feels like it, he hasn't spoken to me. And I, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about that. I mean, how I, how I rationalize that is I don't believe that there is a God to talk to me. And so I, I'm, it's not something I'd lose much sleep over, the fact that I don't think he's spoken to me. But were I sort of maybe more agnostic or, you know, just on the fence about the whole issue, I think I'd find that kind of perturbing in a way that he's, you know, just not got anything to say to me. And I know I'm not, I don't live my life perfectly. I'm not right about everything. I'm not sure about everything that I do and who I am and this sort of thing. I have the same doubts about myself as a person that anyone has. But God's not reassuring me. Um, so, it, yeah, like I say, it kind of leaves you, th- like, should I feel left out in some way? Yeah, I think this is a good point for me to, to – I'm surprised by this. This is the first time I've ever told this particular story or part of it without including some sort of disclaimer. I mean, it almost always starts with me saying I usually don't tell the story. And – at some point, I'm going to have to stop saying that because I've told it a few times now. But 
part of the reason I usually don't tell the story is that, you know, A, uh, I got no argument for anybody who chooses to disbelieve me. I mean, anybody who didn't know me well, you know, could easily just say, well, hey, we've heard that kind of crap before. But the other thing is, I don't know that it's particularly helpful. So I've got friends in the church who would say, well, dude, you've got a witness. So really, you know, this is not a witness that's going to help anybody else. I mean, it's not like anyone else should expect to have a similar sort of experience. So I understand exactly what you mean by saying, hey, this this is outside the norm. Therefore, in the, in the wrong hands, this story would be very off-putting because it, it would just be like somebody one-upping themselves, which is why I always speak to it with a great deal of, of hesitation. But I would say this. Everybody has a different role to play in this earth. So even if you bleed all the religion out of it and just sort of talk about human beings and, and the human culture and sort of replace faith with culture, each one of us has a different role to play. So let's say that there is somebody out there who is not me and who's not you, who hears a story like this and says, you know what? I am going to start listening to this sort of, you know, this inkling that I've got. I'm going to respond to this push I've been getting to do something different, to listen. And if it's, if it's the Holy Spirit, so be it. Then, then the, there's a Christian explanation for it. But if it just leads them to do something really good and different in their life, that's positive too. But you know what? That person doesn't hear me if I'm not holding a microphone having this conversation with you. Yeah. And it gets even better. I'm not having this conversation with you if I don't have a podcast. But I don't have a podcast if it weren't for shows like Starbase 66 and movies you should see and or do you think that's just bollocks? And I don't even know, I'm not even aware of those podcasts if it weren't for the forum. So there's very little here that I'm doing that on some level couldn't be argued that it's standing on top of the of, of a foundation laid by Simply Syndicated. Now, that doesn't that doesn't mean I inevitably pick up a microphone and say and share a story and say something. But you know, there's a lot of things that I'm doing because Simply Syndicated showed me that the thing that I had thought about the internet five or six years ago was not necessarily true. That a lot of it's true. There's a lot of noise, there's a lot of nonsense. I, I don't I don't play games on Facebook. I've never farmed a farmville. There's a lot of stuff I just say no to. But I said yes to simply syndicated. And uh so, you know, if this story gets heard by somebody I've never met, hey, there's a pretty good chance Richard Smith had something to do with it. That's very odd to me. I mean it's 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 a great it's it's a nice thing to know that as you say, we all have our place and we all have our role. And we influence so many people beyond ourselves, beyond even our, our, the people close to us that we directly interact with on a daily basis. And it, and that number of people increases exponentially when you start talking on the internet. You know, the, the, oh, and, and, and beyond just you and me, there will be people that we've both had an effect on on some level who have never contacted us, who will never get in touch with us, and will never know that we did that. But we, it still happened. Yeah, really debating. Um, in October, I'm going to do a, a comment feedback kind of a show, which I do very rarely. 
And part of the reason I do very rarely is, you know, every now and then somebody will send me a note and say, hey, this really had a profound impact on me. And, and you rarely get feedback for people who, for whom your political worldview has helped them out in any way. It's usually the spiritual side of it that does it. But I always feel like, well, well hey, am I tooting my horn if I read this person's email? Um, to what degree should I assume that it was personal between just the two of us? But you're right. There's people that you know, say, like, I didn't know I had a listener in that part of the state of Kansas. I don't think I knew I had more than maybe one listener in the entire state of Kansas. When you think about states like, you know, Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma, I figure I'm just not their cup of tea, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, people uh, from time to time will tell me that I'm a liberal Christian. I, I let that happen, but I really feel like I'm a, more of a moderate than that. But if the country is gone, so if Christianity is skewed so bizarrely right wing, then anybody who's moderate or left is going to be perceived as a raging liberal. You know, that's just, the center of Christianity is now very conservative because it's shifted so much. At least the public face of it has shifted so much. Which I must admit is something I find quite sad in a way. Um, I mean, one of the things I've always admired about you is that you use your religion and faith as a reason to be a good person. And, and as you've already said on this show, you know, if someone is finding religion and, being good because of it that's that's a good thing isn't it and it, 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 yeah. it absolutely is but there is an element of i i think that religion in in general is something that can be co-opted by people who have very un dishonorable intentions and it, it's you know it, it you can use it to make a lot of money to gain a lot of influence and power and as we've said, that's that's not what it's there for, but it, it can be used in that way, and it feels to me like the people who have that in mind are the ones who are taking over, rather than the people such as yourself. Yeah, the expression I think there is probably lord it over people, people who quite literally want to lord it over other people, because uh, even the people who don't become famous or make a lot of money uh, selling a prosperity kind of religion – um, you see a lot of them in churches who are still there because it makes them feel very self-righteously satisfied that they're they're good and other people are bad. And if you went to them and said, hey, what if I just grant you that you're good and that other people are good too, that wouldn't be satisfactory. So then I turn it on its head and say, well, here here's the real deal. You're You're bad. And the reality is even if everyone else you think is bad is bad too, guess what? You know, read your Bible. Bible says you're not perfect. If you want to argue with it, go right ahead. But again, bleed the religion out of it. What kind of conversation are we going to have with somebody who thinks they're perfect? You know, exactly. it's not going to go well. No, no, it's not. Um, I, uh, go ahead. I remember a picture. There's a picture I saw not long ago because I think that a lot of people who are younger than me don't remember what it was like before 1974, 75. I saw a picture from, I think it was 1968 that was, um, and you see lots of these when it comes to race, so it's not unusual. But this one was specifically a church in California that had gathered together its congregation because there was going to be a group of homosexuals who were going to have some sort of social, some mix or a dance or something. And they had rented a very public place to do it. They'd rented like the local, like the local rec center or something. And they had received threats from some folks who you know, were going to you know, intimidate them or whatever. And this church, having heard that, got together and formed a human shield around the facility 
to protect the, you know, event inside. Now, the event inside was a homosexual mixture. It was a, you know, before we called things a pride party, it was basically a pride party. And I tell that story today, and it, I would sympathize with anybody who was born after 1970 who would look at me and say, I don't believe you. Pixar, it didn't happen, you know, mm. because it seems so incredible that a church would take that sort of action. And when you read the news accounts, the thing that's really the most alarming about it is that the reporter who's writing the story isn't talking about it like it's weird. It's not making news because it's sensational or odd. It's just, yep, yeah, by the way, this local church got together and, you know, formed a shield because some of the people at the party had gotten threats because of their sexual orientation. And that's the story. It's like, wow. But I think if I was still going to the church that I used to go to and said, hey, I'm going to spend this weekend online listening to podcasts that are specifically um, set in and around a pride event in Las Vegas, that I would, I would at least get some, some skewed glances, if not some conversation. Of course, I would welcome the conversation because it would give me a chance to talk to people about what the New Testament really says. But as it is, I don't see it as weird at all that I have the ability to listen to you know, a podcast with gay podcasters talking about pride and stuff like that. But that would have been unthinkable in 1968. But in 1968, what wasn't unthinkable was the church standing up and defending people. That wasn't unthinkable at all. And there's numerous other cases where the same thing was being done to protect minorities from, you know, Ku Klux Klan type folks. But that's just not the church we're that's not the church we're seeing on TV, at the very least. It's certainly not the church that are, are saying things like, you know, Hurricane Katrina hit uh, New Orleans because of the type of people that live there and blaming other disasters on similar things and, and, and so on and so on. Um, yeah. It, it feels like, you know, this, what you're describing is what religion should be about. And, and I'm, by that, I mean any of them. And now... We're we're living in a world where it's co-opted. It's it's used as an excuse, and I don't think it's right in any way that those people should be grouped together with people such as yourself, because they're 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 not part of what you believe in. They they say they are, but I don't think they are. And and they they, yeah, you... they they I feel like they're using you in a way. Well. You know, perhaps, although I think that they're they're much more scornful than that. I don't think they're that I'm I'm not being made the public face of anything that they're doing. They would view somebody like me as as regrettable, I'm sure. Uh, I think Karen from Survey sixty six has used the word backslider is probably how they would view me. But to me, if if I could share what Jesus really said and did with any single group of people in the entire world today. It would be those people inside the church calling themselves Christian and leveraging it for their political ends. If you could convert those people to genuine Christianity or failing that, get them to stop using, stop using the terminology, you'd have a huge win. It'd be a much bigger win. And to speak kind of as a Christian, it'd be a much bigger win for the kingdom if the people who went to church believed what, what they're supposed to believe. So – I wrestle a little bit with this term ally where I never minded if somebody who is part of the gay community 
views me as an ally or calls me an ally. But I've always resisted using the term because I feel like I need credentials to be on both sides of whatever border anybody wants to draw. Because the best thing for this group of people that is celebrating Pride this weekend, the best thing they can get from me is me staying inside the church and continuing to influence. It doesn't do them much good if I acknowledge the existence of a border and cross it. Yeah. You know, and I'm just one more person there to, to sympathize with them. And it doesn't do them. But I also learned this, this year that it doesn't do them any good if I stay on the church side of the border all the time either. If I'm serious about not acknowledging a border and trying to move freely on both sides, I need to take that seriously and I need to do it. Yeah. I need to spend time with all of these groups so that I can, again, speak more honestly about saying, hey, you know, there's somebody in this church who has an attitude about homosexuals. Have they ever met one? Can they name them? What's their relationship? Because I've got people that I've got great relationships with, people that I would, I would march to defend. And that credibility gap there is, you know, your attitude towards somebody you've never met and you've never known and you never will be and you never will know can't carry much weight compared to the attitude of somebody who knows people. So it'll be interesting. I've ramped the stakes up in this church hunt so high that at some point I may actually draw a line in the sand and say, I, at some point pastors are going to get to know me because I've circulated around enough that they're going to want to talk to me. And one of the things I may say is, do you have any homosexual members? Because if you don't have homosexual members, I'm probably going to keep walking the earth. And if you tell me that you won't ever have a homosexual member of your church, then I never have to walk here again. I'm good. Yeah. That's a higher standard that I'm setting today. And we have friends who know this part of America well enough to know that that's a standard that could drastically reduce the pool of available places to visit. Really? But, oh, yeah, I, th I think I could, I could eliminate 75% of the churches in this part of, of you know, within 100 miles driving distance of where I live today, most likely. And... Yeah, you know, again, at some point I may need to do that because you can only visit so many places. It's once a week, the way most churches run. I mean, what, what is the, th this is something I'm, I'm not too sure about. What is the the beef with homosexuality? What, why is it such an issue? Because the, there's a lot that is genuinely and obviously wrong in the world today. And yet all these people have zeroed in on this one thing that they feel is an issue. And it, 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 to me, is something that, and this is, you know, I probably said this on, on Do Ask, Do Tell. I, I don't care if people are gay. I, I, honestly, there's, there's nothing that has less of a, an effect on my life than whether or not somebody else is gay. And so, yet here is a, a large number of people who are, who are so upset by the existence of homosexuals. And I, I don't understand what has brought that about. Can I take the time to answer that in two or three different ways? Absolutely. All right, because the first one to me is kind of fun. And it's a, it's a bit of a cop-out, but I really think when I get done talking, we'll come back to it. And this, this first one is the real truth. What led people in high school and junior high school to call people names that use derisive slang to, to insinuate that they're sexual... Um, orientation was quote unquote abnormal. What, what led powerful kids to prey on weak kids? You know, 
Because whatever that answer is, that's the answer. That is the reason. Some of it is I'm, I'm afraid of people who are different. Some of it is that I need to be a big man on campus. Therefore, I've got to beat up somebody smaller than me. It's all those sort of things dressed up as religion. So that's kind of one answer. Yeah. The, the so-called allegedly quote-unquote real answer is that in the book of Leviticus and in a couple of other places, the Bible has some very harsh words. Now, we don't need to go into the whole uh, the West Wing episode um, because that's the best example of it. Anybody who Googles uh, the YouTube clip from the West Wing of, of uh, homosexuality and President Bartlett and you know, religious right, there's a four or five minute clip that kind of covers why we don't really you know, invest ourselves in a non-hypocritical way in the Old Testament. Yeah. But to me, th- when people run to the Old Testament, they're doing the same thing that kind of reflects that poor religious education where instead of starting the story for Christians and saying, here's Jesus, here's what he said, here's what he did, instead of starting with, he fulfilled the law, the law is gone forever, they start with the law. Well, I won't, you know, maybe... Maybe people have just never seen a Quentin Tarantino movie or a Steven Soderbergh movie. If I'm telling the story in a movie, I don't start off with all the crap that's not real. I start off with my two main characters saying, here's what's real. And then I do the flashbacks. To me, the Old Testament should just be a bunch of flashbacks. It's interesting stories. It's a dream. Some of it is like a dream sequence interpretation of what we don't really know happened because it happened millions of more years than we could ever imagine. But instead of doing it that way, they've, kind of if they started the bible if you started reading the bible of genesis and you really were intent on reading it my guess is the average person is going to peter out somewhere in the middle of leviticus meaning the last verses they read are these verses about stoning people to death if they engage in any sort of sexual practice that isn't going to promote rampant procreation well again if you're a hebrew people who are struggling to survive and severely underpopulated and just come out of years of slavery in Egypt and, you know, trying to make sure you've got enough population to defend yourself against a marauding army, you can certainly understand why you'd want to encourage as much childbirth as possible. Absolutely. But Jesus came along and said, hey, you know that law thing? I'm going to fulfill it before I'm done here. And if you're a Christian, you believe that in a supernatural way, he left no doubt that that law thing was dead and done. In fact, if there's one book that anybody who's listening who's Christian or who's politically conservative who thinks, does this guy know what he's talking about? The book in the Bible is Galatians. Go read the book of Galatians. It's a letter from Paul to a bunch of people. And in it, he basically lays it out. He says, hey, if you're following that law thing, you're not a Christian. In fact, if you get yourself circumcised, if you act as though those rules from the Old Testament are still in effect, then you are anti-Christ. I don't understand why Christians don't know this, but when, if you have a male child in America today inside the Protestant church, probably even inside the Catholic church, you're going to get a tremendous amount of peer pressure to circumcise the boy. Mm -hmm. It's just the way it's done in America. And I was, you know, having, having some arguments with people over that. I felt like it was my decision. It was my business, my wife's business, our son's business, although he didn't get to vote. Um, Mm -hmm. 
It was nobody else's business but ours. But whenever anybody would take it in a religious direction, I would say, what in the hell are you talking about? Read Galatians chapter 5. Paul says, if you get circumcised, then Christ is not in you. He didn't stutter, you know? (laughs) And Paul wasn't really talking about a medical procedure. He was talking about trying to obey all those, all those laws. That's, that's not what it is. Jesus said, I'm getting rid of that stuff. I'm giving you two. Love God, love your neighbor. And Paul even says in the book of Romans, that love your neighbor thing, you pull that off, you don't need 10 commandments. Because somebody who loves his neighbor doesn't steal from him, doesn't lie about him, doesn't kill him, doesn't disrespect him. So the New Testament's clear. Those laws about homosexuality, dead and dusted. Now, Paul does take a real attitude about people who perform homosexual acts in church ritual worship. He's not a fan of sexual slavery. He's not a fan of forced prostitution. He's not a fan of men raping boys. Um, I'm comfortable with those positions. I, I yeah. can get on board with all that. Yeah, that's all pretty <laughs> good stuff, isn't it? Yeah. So that's the, the real answer is these people don't know enough about the Bible to even know what it says. So the first answer is they're bullies. The second answer is they don't understand the Bible. Here's my third answer, though, and here's why I have fun with it. Whenever anybody comes up to me and tells me that something should be done about somebody because of their sexual orientation, so a bully seeking an ally to help them be a bully, mm-hmm. I usually turn and look at them and say, listen, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with this. You know, I'm, I'm a very – many people consider me sexually repressed. I've had one sexual relationship in my lifetime. It's me and my wife. So I don't want to sleep with anybody else, and I certainly don't want to be a pimp for anybody else. So when you're coming up to me as a male, insinuating that, that Brad over there is gay, I want no part of it because there's only two reasons why you care about Brad being gay. One of them is that you want to sleep with him and have a sexual relationship, and I'm just not going to be your pimp. The other one is that you plan on performing some act of violence against him, in which case, now I got a problem with you. Now me and you are going to talk. Now me and you and the police are going to talk because that's it. Someone who's obsessed with somebody else's sexuality only has two logical justifications. They intend to be some sort of hideous human being who's probably a criminal, or they intend to do a gay hookup. And I'm not judging. I just don't want to be a part of it. It has been my own personal experience, um, thinking back to the the group of people in, in my school who would have been the most, behaved in the most prejudicial ways towards others were in fact themselves have turned out to be that thing which they were most uh, upset about back in the day. I don't often quote Shakespeare. When I do, it's usually my, methinks thou doth protest too much. Exactly. Um, You know, because we we now have, I have the benefit of hindsight of being a good, God, almost 20 years out of school, um, where I can look back and go, oh, but, oh, so you, you were all gay then? Okay, this this makes perfect sense now. That I get it now. Well, um especially if you're if you're gay and you're in a in a religious country like the United States and um you've been indoctrinated to believe that that's something that you ought to hate. It it is so easy to turn self-hatred into the hatred of others because you know self-hatred is kind of a cul-de-sac. It doesn't really take you anywhere. But the hatred of others means that you can channel all those feelings somewhere else. And of course, the answer is Maybe we should stop the hatred before it gets anywhere near the self so it doesn't have a chance to do damage to other people. And that's something the church has to own. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And the other thing I do with people is I say, you know, if somebody in the church, in particular, in a kind of a small group setting or a Sunday school setting, kind of quotes all those favorite verses to me about homosexuals, I just say, well, sounds to me like you're fairly convinced that these people are really low, kind of the lowest of the low, kind of the the least of these. Now, let's read what Jesus said about the least of these, because I think what you're going to find is that Jesus said that how you treat the least of these is how you treat him, meaning that if you hate gay people because you think that they're somehow low, that you hate Christ. You're, you're so far away from being a Christian that I can't even name an atheist who's got an attitude about Christ that is more pungent and poisonous than yours. And that is often the last conversation I have with these people, but, you know. Yeah. Sometimes it's good to have the conversation. I, I'm pretty sure when Jesus was saying to to love other people, he, he didn't finish it with accept those guys, screw those guys. You know, um, it was it was everyone, literally everyone. Well, and the funny the funny thing is that in that passage, he trucks out all these examples. He uses four specific examples, and there are four people that Republicans hate. He talked about people who are homeless, people who are poor people who are sick, and people who are in prison. Those are the four examples he used to say, when I'm talking about the least of these, I'm talking about this stuff. So perhaps he's describing a kid kicked out of his home by hateful, bigoted parents who is now a homosexual living on the street, who's picked up some sort of you know, ailment or disease along the way, who's definitely qualifies under hungry and homeless. And perhaps if he's turning tricks in some sort of sex trade, he could get himself arrested and thrown in prison. I have just described somebody that your average, you know, Bible thumping Republican would say, lock him up and throw away the key, reinstate the death penalty for that individual. But I think I've just described somebody that Jesus describes four times as being him on this earth. And that's just a concept that, well, it's, it's a hard concept for anybody who doesn't have a faith to understand, I'll grant you. But I get aggravated when it's a concept that people who are in the church and say they have a faith somehow don't understand. It's, it's right there in the book. It's Matthew chapter 25. Read it as many times as you like. It doesn't change. So, yeah, the AIDS epidemic was really where I drew the line. And my politics took a shift from where I was in high school to where I was in college. Because when that all came down, it became pretty obvious to me right up front that that's somebody who's got an ailment. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm supposed to treat them like Jesus. And it's one thing to say, well, I want to treat the, I want to treat the woman with the crisis, crisis pregnancy like Jesus. I'm going to treat the, the housewife who's just had a heart attack like Jesus. Great, fine, by all means. Go to the hospital and, and, and do what, whatever the uh, privacy laws in this country will allow. But I think when Jesus was talking about it, what he said was, it's not just an AIDS patient that I want you to minister and treat like they're God incarnate, like they're me. It's a bleeding AIDS patient. And I'm not just asking you to be there in the room with them and trying to keep your distance. I'm asking you to hold their hand. I'm asking you to wipe the sweat off their brow. I'm asking you to be there. And uh, I shared that with some, some relatives and in-law type people. And it was, to be honest, more than they wanted to hear. You know? Right. But, you know, that's, that's okay. Um, I don't know whether their minds changed because some of these people, you know, the United States is such a huge country. I've got relatives I only see once a year. So their, their opinion may have changed later. Like you mentioned, there's people we've never met and never will meet who are hearing this. Who knows? Maybe, 
maybe somebody will have a, a, a different point of view as a result of things that they've heard. Yeah. I know I've had different points of view as a result of things I've heard, really going all the way back to the definitive word. Wow. Which I'm so glad is back, or at least it's gonna come available. Back. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, but I mean, just those episodes on Simply Everything to me is like people. Anybody who hasn't tapped into Simply Everything, listen, there's no, there's no reason not to because they're either shows you've never heard before that need to be heard. These are timeless. They're, they're topics of general interest. So there's very little current events going on in an episode of The Definitive Word. Or it's been long enough since you've heard them that it's still going to be hilarious to hear them again. Um, you know, Will Tristam's perspective on things like porn and abortion, <laughs> well worth another visit, you know. And if you don't think you got the bandwidth to listen to an hour-long show, then just go to Do We Exist. Get yourself started. Dip your toe in the water. It's not a very long episode. No, it's, it was quite a short one, that one. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's that's my promo is uh, that, you know, www.inappropriateconversations.org wouldn't be here if it wasn't for simplysyndicated.com. And the things that made simplysyndicated.com so fantastic, uh, by and large, there's... Oh. We have a drop-off. Uh-oh. Oh, are you there? I'm there. We, we just a bit of a drop-off there. Yeah, I got a pop-up, but it's gone now. I still have the Ford ad, by the way. That's... Uh, all right. I don't know if that's awesome or not, but <laughs> maybe this is, I know what that is. No, it's, yeah, see, Ford, no, Chevy. See, at one point, there was a car out there called the Prism, and Prism is the name of the, um, the NSA's secret eavesdropping plan. Maybe this Ford block that's sitting on my Skype is actually the NSA listening in. Yeah, maybe they're listening. It, it might <laughs> help them, though. That, that would be good. If only they would listen. button. If only they'd listen through the proper channels and I could count them as downloads. That's right. We did, we did talk about 9-11. Might have set them off. Yeah. It would Although they were me. there before we started talking. Yeah. They knew we were going to talk about 9-11. They read the email that's where we set this up. So, you know, they knew what was coming. So so anyway, yeah. then, I'll, I'll kind of I have one last question sort of to wrap this up then uh, and bring sure. us back to our, our original sort of topic area. What if you never found another church to go to? What what would that what impact would that have on you as a person and your your family and your your faith in general? You want to know why my wife's biggest fear is not your question, but probably the answer to the question. Because to me, this is really easy. And part of the reason that I'm visiting all these churches is to do this due diligence because I'm not 100% sure that what I'm supposed to do doesn't involve never becoming a member of a church. Now, I'll continue to darken the occasional doorway on Sundays. Maybe not every Sunday, but certainly some Sundays. But I would take that as a sign that maybe I'm supposed to be spending time in that inner city um, church that used to be a church but now a mission. Or maybe I'm supposed to be going up to the larger city to the north of us and doing stuff in their food kitchen. Monday morning, I'm going to serve in the, in the food bank, the, uh, the regional food bank for the area. I've never done it before, at least not in that city, that, that bigger city. So who knows? And this all could just be a sign that says, hey, you know, 
there's there's two ways of reading the Gospels, and maybe this passage about the least of these isn't a when it happens do it sort of a instruction. Mm. Maybe it's a go and do it kind of instruction. Again, that difference between are you defensively taking care of people in need or are you offensively taking care of people in need? Are you are you going out and doing it without really having to? Or are you just waiting until you join a church that's doing the right things and you're going to go do it with them? I don't know. Um, to me, both those things are ministry. So if it's if it's serving in a food pantry or visiting people in a hospital or going to worship services and helping out by reading scripture or serving communion, I'm going to go wherever this takes me. I'm good either way. Fair enough. But I think my wife would rather have a church home. Yeah. And I think... There's something to be said for that. So my guess is, I hope it all plays out like it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Well, I'm, I'm, I, I wish you luck with it. And I, I hope you find what whatever is right for you. Um, because like I say, I, I admire you greatly for, for using your, your faith as a very positive force for good. And, the, the, you know, however I feel about religion in general there's there's nothing to be argued with about that as a concept um you know it, it's just a good thing and the world needs as many good things as possible i think yeah my hope is that when it's all said and done and uh and you know it's either it's all said and done game over no one remembers any of us um 2000 years ago people say we didn't exist either it's either that or it's when it's all said and done there's going to be people like you and me people like me and Karen that the world can look at and say, you know what? Um, this was never us versus them. Never was. You can have two people whose experience of spirituality is so different from each other that they ought to have no, no words to speak, no language to share with each other. But you know, that's just, that's absolutely not true. Um, I remain convinced that we've met people. You probably live with one of them who have seen you know, the greatest of all possible needs and have been part of or have eyewitnessed situations where people stepped up and made a difference in those lives. And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Anything you do to put a label on it instantly sort of diminishes it, instantly sort of makes it, oh, well, he's a Christian. Well, no. <laughs> Intervening in the lives of others, making a difference, spending your time on this earth positively, that's got a value. And at the end of the day, I really think that if I'm right about what happens after death, that value is going to be recognized by some sort of force no one understands. And if I'm wrong, maybe people still acknowledge we exist because somehow the tape survives. And if so, this is a good conversation to leave behind. Yeah. Well, Thank you so much for, for coming on the show, Greg. It's been an absolute delight and the, the fastest hour and a quarter of my life. Um, this has just <laughs> flown by. Well, um, I'm a talker. No, it's been wonderful. It's been absolutely wonderful. Um, so, yeah, I'll just remind everybody, it's inappropriateconversations.org, did you say? Yeah, I'm a .org. I wasn't yeah. smart enough to get a domain when it was .com. But really, you look at the content of my show, and it, it's got .org written all over it. Oh, that's fine. It, otherwise, you just have to come up with a really weird name for your website to get a .com, and that's how you end up with Simply Syndicated. To be perfectly <laughs> honest, 
it was it was literally a case of but you get a free domain name with your hosting what do you want um hadn't thought of that give me a minute and here we yeah, are eight years later yeah imagine what our kids would be called if we had to name our kids that way exactly <laughs> it'd be wonderful <laughs> not in a good way or may i don't know um but anyway, thank you again so much. And uh, it, like I say, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. And feel free to come back whenever you like as well. Will do. Cool, because I, I, I run out of new show ideas very quickly. So a- anything is welcome. Can I offer a consumer question? By all means. It's probably just me, but when I'm on the, um, when I'm on the mobile version of the site... Or at least when I'm on Simply Syndicated via my iPhone, I have a devil of a time getting to the place where I can log in. Right. Um, we we are working. That is being worked on. No issue. Uh, yeah, it, it's uh, that's, that's good. Yeah, it, it's kind of. I I feel that while it technically works, things could work more smoothly. And in particular, when you're looking at things like making it work on your iPhone and, and things like that. And so there, yeah, the, there, there is an app coming that, that unfortunately, that's the, the level of detail that I have. So I'm, I can't give you a, a specific sort of time frame, but there, there is an app on the way which should hopefully just solve all of these problems altogether. And in the that meantime, works. I'm kind of trying different things to see if I can come up with something that is uh, a sort of interim solution. But I get the feeling that by the time I come up with something satisfactory, there'll be an app anyway. Um, yeah, my interim solution is that work has given me a Chromebook, ooh. which is not as convenient as stuffing something in your pocket, but Chromebook should work just fine. So if I have, if I have that, I can bring that to any room I go to and, and that should, uh, function just like a normal web browser so that's good cool i've yet to try one of those but i hear positive things well i have to let you know it's all new to me in fact i'm trying to get used to to being paperless and having all of my documents on google um i'm I'm a little old school in the sense of coming into work turning on my computer opening up email and opening up excel and in my my new job at work i've got to get used to the fact that that's that's abnormal behavior Almost any time you're going to create a spreadsheet or create a word, a word processing document, they're using Google Drive and they're using Google Documents to do it. So hence the uh, Chromebook plays right into that. Yeah. I just have to, I have to cover about five or six years of, of technological change that I've ignored to get to where I'm, where those guys are. So the good news is, though, I'm quite sure that the Chromebook should work perfectly fine for simply everything. Awesome. Yep. Good. <laughs> At least that's working. That's good. Okay then. <laughs> right. I shall let you get on with your Friday evening and, and go and see your family and everything, and I'll get off to bed. So thank you yep. again, Greg. It's it's been an absolute delight to to have you on the show. And uh, I'll sleep sp- well and thanks. You too. I'll speak to you later then. Bye bye. Okay, everybody, that was the show. That was I really enjoyed that. So thank you for listening, everybody. And uh, keep an eye out on Simply Everything for more great stuff. Don't forget we've got, what is it, Shaken Not Stirred. We'll probably have a new episode out soon. Uh, although Nick's on holiday, that's that's what our, our little hiatus has been. 
nothing more than that, don't worry. And uh, go and check out, like Greg said, all the old episodes of Definitive Word. I, I think that hearing Will Tristram's views on pornography are, are definitely, definitely worth a listen. So, thank you everybody. If you want to email me any feedback, please do so. It's techsupportrich at simplysyndicated.com. Uh, there's a contact form on the website at simplysyndicated.com. Oh, you know that because you're already listening to Simply Everything, aren't you? Okay, I'll catch you later, guys. Bye-bye.